You're listening to Once, episode 268, Dark Waters. Welcome back to another episode of Once, the unofficial podcast for ABC's TV show, Once Upon a Time. I'm Daniel J. Lewis. I'm Jeremy Laughlin. And I'm Heather Ordover. And it is great to have our team back together again to discuss in detail this episode, Dark Waters. If you want the show notes for this to see some of the screenshots, links we mentioned, the quotations, and to share this episode out with other Once Upon a Time fans, please go to oncepodcast.com slash 268. That's also where you can go to comment on this episode if you'd like to. Oncepodcast.com slash 268. Let's jump into the past. The time, at least as it says it on the screen, the time of the dark curse. Now, right there, I'm going to start off with some feedback. Okay. Woo. DeAndre said... This episode doesn't make sense timeline-wise. The story seems to be a continuation of episode 511, Swanson, where Hook kills his father. But according to the events of 209, Queen of Hearts, the events of 511 wouldn't have nor couldn't have happened. Even if they could have, there's no way Liam would have been fully grown as he was a child and would be no older than Henry during the present-day timeline. And since the flashback took place during the original Dark Curse, that would have made Liam around the same age as when Hook killed their father, since he went straight to Wonderland to, quote, kill, unquote, Cora, but couldn't because of her heart not being in her chest. So here's some things to think about. I know this is spaghetti timeline logic here. See, actual time travel doesn't make my brain hurt, <laughs> like everybody always says. But this stuff, like... <laughs> There have like, oh, there are too many places that freeze time and too many ways that it's been done. I don't even think they can keep it straight anymore. Well, here are some things to remind you of that do make sense of this. If you're trying to reconcile the timeline, here are some ways that partially reconcile it. First of all, remember, Hook is from hundreds of years ago. Same time as Rumpel, remember? So hundreds of years ago, Rumpel became the Dark One. That's how he could live for hundreds of years. Hook went to Neverland to be able to live for hundreds of years until he could figure out how to get back at the Dark One. This has to have been Neverland. Now— They have to be aware that he was in Neverland. No, this can't be Neverland. But it's during the time of the Dark Curse. It is, but I'll get to that in a moment. Mm. Um, So what happens then— Hook's (laughs) father— Uh, remember there was in the episode 511, Swan Son, is when Regina hires Hook to go kill Cora. Well, not that specific episode, but she tells oh, him, before right. you kill Cora, I want to make sure that you're committed to this. So she has Hook go kill his father. So how did his father survive for all of these hundreds of years? That was addressed in the episode Swan Son. His father said... I escaped from some captors, and I was put under a sleeping curse. That's right. I forgot about that little uh, Uh, will of convenience. Yeah. So the sleeping curse is what preserved Hook's father for all of those couple hundred years or so. Oncepodcast.com slash timeline. And then father met this woman, and it was true love's kiss that he fell in love with this woman while he was asleep in the curse. And 
her true love kiss woke him up from the sleeping curse. I know there's a plot hole there. And then they had Liam revision two. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag revision child. <laughs> so that all lines up so far with the events of this episode, except for the main problem here is Liam's age. Mm-hmm. That Liam in the episode Swan Song was five or six years old. And in this episode, during the time of the Dark Curse, Liam is closer to 18, 20 years. Did we see Liam in that episode? In which episode? Swan Song? Yes. Yes. He was young. Yeah, he was young. He was a young boy. I remember the outside of the cottage. I don't remember ever seeing him. Yeah, it was when Hook learned that Brennan Jones, Hook's father, named the younger boy Liam. Right. That Hook then decided, no, I'm going to kill you after all, instead of Mm. helping you with safe passage. Love that guy. (laughs) (laughs) Now, how can this all coincide with the Dark Curse? Well, what we know of the Dark Curse is from episode 209, Queen of Hearts. Hook did not kill Korra. Korra. (laughs) He was with Korra when the curse was cast, and Korra did that dome thing one of my yep. favorite scenes from once upon a time when she cast that dome that protected them from being swept away with the curse but she did say we'll be frozen for 28 years Even until the curse is broken little bit of a retcon in and of itself well but i kind of liked it not totally because that dome protected present day fairy tale land from certain areas of present day fairy tale land remember aurora and mulan and some oh, of the right. others it protected them so they weren't swept away from the curse but it wasn't that big But the purpose of the dome was not permanent. It was to keep them from being swept away by the curse. Uh, Yes. But it did still kind of freeze them in time in some way Mm -hmm. where however that works. Basically, I think by being frozen in time, they could still move because Prince Philip talked about how they were still searching. But then again, again, he did also refer to how after the curse was lifted and they could move again. Yeah, I think they were literally frozen, but I would hope that they weren't conscious because they should all be crazy people. <laughs> well, if they were literally mm-hmm. frozen, then that means that this, during the time of the dark curse, can't have existed like this. I think what does Except make sense... In Neverland. I thought he was in Neverland no, during... Most... because the curse was cast and he was in Enchanted Forest with Korra. For a while. So then maybe he I did go back to it, Neverland. Yeah. I know, because this looks like Neverland. It's dark. Well, it's the place where there are sea monsters. <laughs> Everything looks like Neverland. Uh, so It doesn't make sense. It doesn't I can't quite, figure out a way that it makes sense. Maybe. I, think, I think it does partially make sense if this is all taking place back in Enchanted Forest. And this is during the time of the curse when... I mean, look at Storybrooke. People were allowed to move around... They just had no consciousness of how much time had passed. They basically remembered the events of yesterday and the day before and stuff like that. But the actual passage of time didn't seem to occur to them. Now, uh, Matthew Paul linked to uh, the forums in our chat room. He mentioned a, a timeline question that was addressed by one of the writers, Andrew Chambliss, who tried to address some of this. So we'll have that link in the show notes at oncepodcast.com slash 268. The main problem in all of this, I mean, 
I think that where curse is relative to the curse and everything like that, and uh, Chambliss is saying that Hook stayed in the Enchanted Forest, which was under the time-freezing magic of the curse, and Nemo and Liam were outside the bounds. So, if Liam was outside the bounds, then that could explain his aging. But if he was outside the bounds of the dome, then he could have been swept up in the curse. But remember, the curse didn't bring everyone. It did affect then why all did the Cora lands. have to put up the barrier? See, they've gone back on what the curse was originally written to be too many times in too many ways. So they may have an explanation, but it still is bothersome because it's been revised. I think <laughs> I think it makes sense as long as you don't try to make it make sense too hard. <laughs> wow. So hold these two conflicting thoughts in your head without your head exploding and you'll get it. Right. I'm like, I'm good with that. The so, quote from Mulan was, this corner of the land was untouched. No one knows why, but something saved us. And for 28 years, we were frozen. And then time started again. Yeah. But so... What, like Storybrooke? They just wandered around ineffective. But Hook was able, like, some people were able to actually be so effective as to actually leave and change realms and get out from under the curse? Well, um, one of the other castings of the curse, Hook was able to outrun the curse. And it did, remember, the curse didn't bring everyone to Storybrooke, but it did seem to affect all the realms. Like, it seemed to affect Wonderland. It pulled some people from Wonderland. Maybe some people from Neverland, like Smee. Yeah, and it pulled uh, Dr. Whale from the land without color. When did he go to Neverland? Smee? No. Or Hook? Hook. Um, sometime hundreds of years ago, so right. that they would have enough time to be able to figure out how to get revenge. But he left before the Dark Curse never went back, except... Apparently, yes. And we... Yeah. And what happened to Smee? Smee, I can't I'm, remember his timeline. I guess he went into the curse. Smee said because he, he was either in said yeah he either said we were in Neverland when the curse hit or maybe he said no he wouldn't no he didn't say Neverland <laughs> because they weren't talking about Neverland then he said something like we were on the Jolly Roger I think that was season two uh, it was when Rumple had Smee uh, all tied up inside of some little shop they should have just said a long time ago (laughs) (laughs) seriously they should have and then we could have saved the last 10 minutes of this podcast (laughs) and i know what you're thinking listening right now you're thinking move on please move on and yes we will but it's like a curse froze us or took us somewhere i don't know which I, I do want to read one of the podcast reviews we got because this is relevant to this. <laughs> nice. Um, and I'll read some of the others in a little bit. But Buff Nick said, seriously, the best podcast wait, out wait, there. Wait, wait, wait. What was that name? <laughs> no, no, no. Just move on, okay? <laughs> we got to move on. <laughs> Don't confuse the issues. <laughs> they said, seriously, the best podcast out there for any show. Wow, thank you. Uh, I actually enjoy listening to this group of friends discuss Once Upon a Time more than I like watching the show. They help me keep this timeline straight. The writers of the show may want to listen to the podcast for that reason alone. 
<laughs> yep, I totally agree. And uh, Buffnick also said, I personally appreciate the family friendliness of the podcast and Daniel's Christian beliefs and morals. Thank you for putting out a podcast that isn't full of swearing and questionable content. It's a pleasure to listen to. Thank you very much for that kind review, Buffnick. We really appreciate it. And I'll thank the others who reviewed the podcast in a little bit, too. Thank you. And I hear Scrawny Nick likes us as well. <laughs> he doesn't write as well, though. That's, that's the little brother. His arm gets tired. So after spending 10 minutes on a subtitle for the first scene, let's talk about the first scene. Now, the first wave I saw, I have a lot to say about that. (laughs) Okay, maybe not. No, no, no. But you know what? We're going frame by frame in case you didn't know our new format. As much (laughs) as you are probably thinking, please move on, you know this is why you love us. You know this is why you listen to the podcast because we get this in depth on these kinds of things. We'll go where you're not willing to go yourself. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I was getting kind of sad there for a minute. (laughs) <laughs> oh, and you know one thing tying this together but moving on um, one thing that makes all of this kind of relevant to who is where is mm-hmm. Hook said Mr. Smee wouldn't have stood for this well mm-hmm. Mr. Smee isn't there he isn't there because he was swept up by the curse and brought to Storybrooke yes so that's why he's not there. So that, that, that was the part only part that sense. felt sort of consistent, except that I'd forgotten what Smee's timeline was. Yeah. But I remembered as we talked. Narwhal! Yeah, what in the world? There's nothing better than a narwhal. Nothing. Well, there's a few things, but narwhals are pretty cool. <laughs> it, it was cool, though, to see the Nautilus approach like that. And how else yeah. would someone think? I mean, look at... The classic 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, and they thought the Nautilus was a sea monster. So it makes sense for them to also do that here. Or now many fathoms under the sea. <laughs> and, and Nemo was apparently a stowaway. Well, they assumed that. Obviously, he snuck on somehow. I don't yeah. know how. And there was a shout out to anybody who had to take Latin at either catechism class or, or in school. Because Latin, uh, Nemo in Latin means no one. Huh. And so that's a joke both here and in Bleak House in the first, I think, chapter, second chapter of Bleak, Bleak House, this pops up, this idea of this kind of everyman, no man thing. So having Nemo say that just made me cackle. Uh-huh. All, nice. all by myself. <laughs> <laughs> so you knew it was Nemo yeah. before you saw the Nautilus. I did. 20 seconds later. Right. <laughs> he had 20 seconds of feeling smug, and then it was all over. <laughs> <laughs> but we knew we would, well, we theorized we would see Nemo at some point because yeah. of uh, seeing the Nemo in 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea illustration inside of one of those storybooks from the uh, library in New York. Mm-hmm. Now, when Hook was brought aboard the uh, Nautilus, Nemo says, call me Nemo. And I so totally wanted to hear him say, call me Ishmael. With good reason. Yeah. Really confusing. With good reason. It was probably a little bit of a nod to that opening line. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah. Jules Byrne had plenty of time to read Moby Dick. It's a big book, but he had plenty of time to read it between when it was published and when when he published 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Mm -hmm. 
So somehow Nemo has this enchanted harpoon to find wayward souls. We've seen an enchanted gauntlet to help you find what you seek most. We've seen enchanted compasses. We've seen enchanted hooks. Now we've seen an enchanted harpoon tip mm-hmm. that points to wayward souls. Yep. But it doesn't really, I mean, I guess once it points, like if Nemo's in private, it just spills the entire life story of that wayward soul because he seemed to know an awful lot about Hook. Hmm. Yeah, I was wondering if anybody tracked where it wound up by the end of the episode. Hmm. Uh-huh. So you think it's something that will come back? I don't know. I'll, you know, magical items, you don't want to really lose track of them because who knows? That's kind of like the shears. There's, um, it, well, and honestly, the harpoon, the magical harpoon thing, along with the Call Me Nemo, made me think, oh, I wonder where they're going. Because if Moby Dick and Ahab show up <laughs> by the end of the, se- the season, I'm, I will chortle. And I think that's a logical direction for them to go. They're bringing in a lot of this kind of classic sci-fi steampunk sort of stories. Mm-hmm. Unless they were trying to sort of merge the two stories. At some oh, point, maybe. they're probably going to journey to the center of the earth too. Or did they do that last season with... <laughs> oh, going to Hades. And, yeah. <laughs> and the underworld and everything, yeah. Mm, well, there weren't any giant flowers, so I'm going to say no. Yeah. So, do you think Nemo's backstory was just a simple backstory? Or do you think the murderers will turn out to be somebody who's also in Storybrooke now, especially now that we know he's alive? It depends on if they stick to the book or not. I mean, so far, I was really impressed. They did a really, really nice job of dovetailing Nemo with with the Nemo in the the original book. And anybody who read League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, they know half of the secret to to who Nemo is and and what had happened. But um, and I don't know if you want anybody to talk about it, because because since he's still alive, I figure there's going to be some some stuff going on. Well, and I don't know spoilers, so I don't know if... We'll see him again. It, he kind yeah. of seems like, to me, watching this, not knowing spoilers, he mm-hmm. seems to me like uh, it, he's a one-off character, that we're not going to see him again. He's done. This was the, the character of the week. Yeah. And we're moving on. But that doesn't mean he can't be in another episode. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Especially, I, was- I don't see how... I mean, I do see how, given the show's history, this could happen, but I don't see completely logically how they can introduce someone who is Hook's brother and then not ever show him again. However, we have many important characters who live in Storybrooke kind of happily ever after while everyone else is fighting for their lives. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Thomas and Cinderella don't help very much when the town's in danger. I've noticed they don't really show up. Yeah, I, and they can't afford to pay these actors to come back for every single episode or every single time. Actors? What no. actors? <laughs> and she's running a daycare, which, you know, that's a lot of time and commitment that that takes. She's protecting the children. That's right. We have our priorities. No, it's it's too bad, though, because I like I like that actor, and I thought he was a really, really solid choice for this part. And it was one of those times when Hollywood didn't whitewash the the casting, and that was lovely to see but yeah i i didn't feel like they invested a whole lot of work in well not in his dialogue so i'm i'm thinking he's probably not going to show up too much which is too bad 
And speaking of the actor who played Nemo, I may butcher his name, Farhan Tahir. He also played another captain, and which is where I recognized him uh, from. Yeah. He was the captain of not the Enterprise, but a ship at the beginning of the 2009 Star Trek movie. And interestingly, he was really only in the first few minutes. Also in the first few minutes was Jennifer Morrison. Yep. Oh my gosh, I forgot that. They didn't have any scenes directly together, but they were definitely both featured. That's awesome. Because it's a small world. (laughs) (laughs) That's so cool. I love it when stuff like that happens. Moving on to when they reach the treasure chest. I thought it was interesting how Nemo said, believe it or not, you're part of this family. And that reminds me of, now I've never read 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. I need to. I really should. It's public domain, so it would be very easy to get it for free, like on Amazon or from my library, or maybe there's an audiobook version. Yeah, something like that. So what I know about Nemo and 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea is mostly from the Disney movie with Kirk Douglas. But I do remember something that really stood out to me in that movie with Nemo was how forcefully adoptive he was mm-hmm. what i mean by that is like he he kidnapped some of the main characters mm-hmm. and then was basically saying your family now your family you can't leave this family it it was all like we forced you to be adopted you by no choice of your own are now part of this family you'd get along with gold yeah mm-hmm. and that seemed very similar to how Nemo is portrayed here. And when he says, believe it or not, you're part of this family. Yeah. He's nicer in this than that. He's way nicer in this than he is in the book. Hmm. He's, he's batty crazy in the book, but he's, and, and you get some of that in the Disney film. I remember being frightened by the Disney film when I saw it, I was little and Mm -hmm. he, he spooked me in the, uh, the organ at the end. That's all in the book. He has been wronged by society. He is a quintessential misanthrope. He just doesn't like people. So if he has decided that you're worth saving and bringing aboard the Nautilus, then you're golden. No pun intended with the gold, but (laughs) he's decided that you are worth the effort. And very few people make it that far. And he's more than happy to trash an entire ship and, and just kill everybody on board without batting an eyelash. But when he's decided that you're okay, he really sticks to you. So that didn't that didn't surprise me a whole lot. I thought that was one of the nice places where they very quickly and easily said, oh, we've read the book. There might have been a little crazy in this scene, just judging oh, by his lack of awareness of his surroundings. Now, I actually think it was mm. an editing problem. Hook was like, what, 10, 20 feet from them? He gets grabbed by a squid, and there's all this commotion, and it even takes Liam a minute to turn around, and then Liam runs off to help him, and by runs off, I mean takes five steps, and they're struggling and yelling, and then finally Hook yells Nemo, and that's when he turns around. It was a full five seconds minimum of all this noise before he turned around. Yeah. Just saying. (laughs) <laughs> I had trouble with that scene, too. I, and I rewound and watched it several times going, wait a minute, what? Like, why is it taking them so long to react? Is yeah, it farther could, away than it felt like? or I couldn't figure out who, who composed the shots or who edited. Something went weird. Yeah, I, I think perhaps it was editing. Like, uh, maybe each of those reactions was 
one right after the other, and they just kept interspersing hook struggle scenes in the middle mm, of it. To heighten the tension. Yes. Yeah. But it lowered the perceived tension from Nemo. Yeah. <laughs> I thought so, too. So they get the chest after fending off the Kraken. The Kraken. Kraken. And when they're opening the chest, this is also when we learn that they refer to the land of untold stories as the mysterious island. Nice little reference there with Jules mm. Verne. And now I haven't read the mysterious island either. I mean, most of the classic novels I haven't read. That's Heather's department. That's that's why you have me here. Go over to craftlit.com <laughs> and listen to Heather's podcast. Now, here's the thing. I've started listening to some of Heather's episodes. Oh. <laughs> You think the chest with the key to the land of untold stories is mesmerizing? Heather's episodes are mesmerizing. Oh, oh you're so sweet. <laughs> so go over to Heather's podcast, craftlit.com, and you can learn more about a whole bunch of different literature. But uh, Heather, is there any connection with the mysterious island and this idea of the land of untold stories? Like anything that we... For those who are in the know would be like, oh, yeah, that makes total sense that they're calling the same place by different names. I think people were probably confused about why he linked it to the Land of Untold Stories until the end of the episode. Well, further further down the episode when you find out what he's been after. Or is it in this scene? When is it that you find out that he's got a key? This scene is when yeah, okay. you open the chest and you see that it's the key. So the key thing makes more sense than the Land of Untold Stories because in the Mysterious Island Nemo, and I'm just going to spoil it for everyone right now. Nemo, <laughs> Nemo is this kind of deus ex machina figure. He's been keeping people alive because actually this story starts in the Civil War. And it's a bunch of American Civil War people who get transported to the mysterious island. And they should have died and they don't. Things, strange things happen. And it's all Nemo working behind the scenes. So he's got all these secret things happening behind the scenes on the island. And... At the very, very end, you do have a treasure show up. There's diamonds or jewels or something because he's a he's an Indian prince whose family was butchered during the Indian Rebellion of 1857, and that's that's why he left society. That's why he he took off. and And the mysterious island is where he built the Nautilus, hmm. because genius man. But there's a lot of opportunity for stories to have wound up on the mysterious island. I wouldn't put it past them to take us there at some point. Um, but there's there was nothing I could figure out that would be a direct connection except for the the treasure and Nemo. Yeah. 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 Based on just what was presented in this story, mm -hmm. I questioned this twist because this Nemo is presented as noble, almost on a life quest to rescue other wayward souls, often bent on revenge and help them move past it and be strong and correct their lives, maybe dedicate their lives to helping others. Mm -hmm. But he seems to have this ultimate goal of not just finding a home and making a home and growing and living with what's happened, but of going somewhere where their stories are paused and they mm -hmm. can't move on and they can't grow. That didn't make any sense to me. And you could say that maybe he didn't know the full nature of it, but he, he did call it a place where they would never lose anyone again, which indicates that he does have some idea of its nature. So it didn't make sense to me that he would want to take all those people there because he seems to be all about moving on. Mm -hmm. That is interesting. I hadn't thought about that. But you know, it, it gets them to Storybrooke. So, <laughs> so there's that. Yep. 
And the George man... Byrne did not come up with Storybrooke. Right. And <laughs> as I'm sure we'll discuss later, the man has an incredible capacity to bleed for a long time. <laughs> and speaking of bleeding, that knife... <laughs> no, that's not a segue to our sponsors. <laughs> that knife, this is the scene where Hook sees the knife and he says, where'd you get that knife? And he says it's... Well, what we're supposed to understand is that's the same knife he used to kill his father... Right. And Liam then took the knife. Well, I went back and rewatched <laughs> part of that episode, 511, uh, Swan Song. It's not the same knife. Prop error. Prop Okay, so error. it's supposed to be the same knife. I'll accept that it's supposed to be, but it's actually not, just in case you were wondering. We wanted it to literally the, be. The main thing, uh, well, how you can tell it was different is this knife is um, a classic, like, one-sided knife where there's a... I don't know what these parts of the knives are called, but the, the the little thing that like protects your fingers or something goes down on only one side of the handle. And the blade is sharp on only one side. It's a very mm. classic looking knife. The knife that Hook actually used to kill his father was smaller. And that little thing that protects the fingers was on both sides of the blade. It goes down on one side, up on the other. We'll have some screenshots. The screenshots, uh, it's kind of difficult, but you can see enough that it's not the same knife. The other thing is the little blade that Hook used to kill his father was double-sided. It wasn't this one-sided kind of classic knife thing. I forgot everyone in this show used to kill their parents. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone. That's true. It, It is not a good thing to be a parent in any Disney movie, any Pixar movie, or in any Disney-inspired TV show. It's especially bad to be a mom. Yeah. <laughs> Moms get 86 all the time. Not yeah. that I'm bitter, mind you, but no, no, no. Why would I be? Yes. <sighs> Luckily, my, my boys don't pay any attention to that. <laughs> like, yeah, even if it's not the kid, something happens to the mom. Yeah. It's a good way to bring in an evil stepmother, which is also problematic. <laughs> right. That's it's a whole different other problem. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Just another one of the burdens we have to bear. You know. <laughs> but no, the, but it's true. Nemo, I don't know. I guess I guess he's all magic harpoon and no actual skill. <laughs> He he swore by Liam up one side and down the other, and Liam immediately did all the things that Nemo promised he would not do. Yeah. <laughs> and Liam um, has not been very well trained in the art of stabbing. That is that is also true. And not accidentally stabbing the wrong person. Now, Nemo jumping in front and getting stabbed actually worked better than Mary getting thrown out the window. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. This, and it seemed to go along with that nobleness that Nemo has, that here's a stranger and he's not going to let someone that seems like a son figure to him kill a stranger because this is all about let's let's move beyond revenge. Let's not seek revenge. Let's help each other. No, I can't let you kill him. Oh crap, you killed me. <laughs> or not kill, but stab. <laughs> he didn't die. Right. We thought, though, at the time. 
But you know who stands in front of bullets and trains and knives for us? The heroes who, well, they may not die for us, but they live for us. (laughs) (laughs) Our heroes for this episode. (laughs) Special thanks to Lisa Slack, Lisa, uh, other Lisa, David Newland, and our 27 heroes on Patreon. Thank you very much for supporting the podcast. If it wasn't for you, then we would take that knife and the podcast would be over because of you, we can continue hosting the podcast. Because of you, we can go on and live a wonderful life. Because of you, we can... reunite Zuzu with her petals because of you. I said it's a wonderful life, so that's where the Zuzu petals. I know, I followed you. (laughs) (laughs) Because of you, you can have these moments to laugh, to roll your eyes at our obsessing over a caption and the timeline for 10 minutes. It's because of you. In the positive way, not like the pop song negative way, but in the positive way. It's because of you. Thank you very much for being a hero, supporting the podcast. And in exchange for that, you get your name mentioned, depending on your membership level. And also you get access to our bloopers. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all of your kind support. If you'd like to be a hero and you're not a hero, or you want to be one of those recurring heroes, you can be a hero for as little as a dollar per month. If you want your name mentioned in the episodes, (laughs) then that's a little bit more, but you can know that you get access to those bloopers for as little as a dollar per month. If only Regina had known that. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So please go to oncepodcast.com slash hero to become a hero to the podcast. That's oncepodcast.com slash hero. And thank you for your support. So in the present, we start off with the pirate not burying things. (laughs) Pirates are supposed to bury things. However, I don't think in this case it would have helped much. Because how? I mean, uh, well, yeah, uh, yeah, we'll get to that. But like it, it wasn't even a good hiding place. I'm not sure any hiding place is good enough for a magical object. Right. Turns out. I have a comment on that one later, too. Yeah. But totally. This is this is where the New Yorker in me comes in and says, <laughs> because really, really hook what? And then we've seen a lot of lying among people who are done with lying in this show. But the mm-hmm. the, the whole thing, the whole gardening thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Emma goes, I didn't know you had a green hook. And it's like, or, or anywhere to do any gardening or any dirt on anything. Or <laughs> I thought you knew when someone was lying or where else can we go with that? Yeah. Wasn't that her superpower? It was. Except when people she loves lie to her, then it doesn't work. Yeah, that's this true. This is I what forgot. I'm saying. I forgot about her superpower in that moment. Mm. I was not happy about this one. Though she did have a little bit of a look mm. that almost mm. indicated that maybe she suspected something or but maybe she thought, oh, he's maybe planning a surprise because oh, yeah. we haven't celebrated oh. my birthday for several seasons. <laughs> Wait, I know what it is. Wasn't this a scene where she shows up in a dress? No, this is the first scene, the breakfast. Oh, scene. she's safe then. She should have had her superpowers working. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because she's not well adjusted enough to really put something like that off. Like if she thought he was lying and she suspected something, I feel like she'd have been way more troubled than she was. Yeah. It it is funny, though, to see Henry with his unhealthy food obsession. Pop-Tarts. Pop-Tarts, pizza. 
Uh, it's been Cinnabon. You know, just ship Henry with food. <laughs> and I think that's a pretty good ship. <laughs> I cracked up at the Pop-Tart. Yeah, Hook threw away Pop-Tarts. Uh, does this mean he's still a dark one? Because that is drastic. If they were cinnamon, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, the, the brown sugar, yeah, uh huh, yeah. Uh-huh. Those are, are like yeah. those are the ones. The others, uh-huh. eh. but if they were, they were the cinnamon brown sugar. He's in trouble with me, man. Yeah, that's. Uh, he needs to apologize to those pop tarts because <laughs> they'll know. They'll know if he didn't. Mm-hmm. How did Evil Queen find the shears? Right. Is it just a magical object thing? Yeah. She, it's like a magnet? That's why I'm thinking, yeah. Yeah. But they all should have known that. All of them. All of them should have known that. Yeah. Yeah. Also, side note, she tosses an apple just like Henry did in, like, the second episode. Yeah, I was thinking of that, too. <laughs> Don't eat <Yep>. that. <laughs> I loved that. Yep. That was fun. So the shears were hidden for maybe five minutes, and I guess... Just to play devil's advocate, even, well, we know this, actually, even if Hook had done what he said he would have done, or what he had Mm -hmm. done, Mm -hmm. she would have found them anyway. Because eventually they do what Hook told Emma that he had already done, and she still got them. So, uh, yeah, so there's that. Was this, not, not this scene, but is this season the first time Henry has ever witnessed Evil Queen Regina? In person? Mm. Yes. Yeah, because he's seen her Mm -hmm. in stories. The one time, like with the Curse of Shattered Sight, when she kind of came out to play for a little while, Henry wasn't around. Right. So. And he's never time traveled. Right. Only Emma. So this, and and this was maybe the longest conversation they've had. Yeah. Now you could say Mm -hmm. that season one, she was still evil queen. But evil queen mayor. Right. So evil mayor. <laughs> yes. Mm. Mayor evil queen. But she was still civilized. Yes. With her nice mayoral suits and <laughs> Modernized. Things. Yeah. And land without magicized. Oh, actually. Um, Tasteful cottonized. Yeah. So this is a long conversation. He also talked with her on the docks previously. He did. Oh, right. But yeah, this season is the first time that he's seen Evil Queen. That's got to be weird for him. You would think. Right. I feel like if I saw my mom dressed like that, I'd think it was very strange. Well, right. I know. (laughs) Because seriously. (laughs) No, 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 no. My mom wouldn't dress like that either. Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh. No. Mm -mm. So when Regina then goes to huff and puff and blow the... Evil Zelina and Evil Queen's house down. Uh, <laughs> Wicked Zelina. Yeah. All a ploy right. to rescue Gemini. That was good. Yeah, yeah. That was awesome. So at least they didn't have to keep them in there. And Raphael Sabarge nailed the acting there for Gemini Cricket. Nice that they didn't leave him as a tree. <laughs> I mean a cricket. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now he can go off and get a degree somewhere. Yeah. Maybe a real <laughs> doctor's degree instead of from <laughs> one from a curse. Remember, that's that's from the show. I'm not... Not criticizing his degree. It's true. <laughs> now, Evil Queen said that exposing Emma's secret was only the beginning of how she was going to try to 
get the charming family to tear themselves <laughs> apart. <laughs> yeah. So I have a theory about that. You think she's referring to this hook thing? Because later on she does show about and talk about um, a hook shaped wedge or something like that into the charming family. Or is there maybe more than it? What's your theory? She decided that was misguided. That original hook plan. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing of trying to get the Charmings to be at odds with each other. So she's got the shears, but I think that was more a bargaining chip. She gave that, she gave those to Rumple. I think she wants Snow White's heart, not so that she can crush it, but so that she can control Snow and get Snow to do bad things. Oh. oh. And then Snow could tear the family apart. Yes, without anyone knowing why she's doing what she's doing. That it could be one move, the... or it could be oh. lots of subtle things. Yeah. Like just turning Jeremy, snow you against just, everyone. You exploded my brain. Because <laughs> my comment about this was, really, how is it that Regina, or Evil Queen, doesn't just smack the bajujus out of <laughs> snow every time she says something provocative. That kind of, you know, you'll never tear this family apart. And and on, on a side note, bless her heart for being able to deliver those lines at all, because I would ask for more money if I were her. That's just painful. <laughs> but it makes sense if she's going to be the one who gets turned to actually do the tearing apart, then... Yeah then it's fine. And she can keep saying those and get paid what she's getting paid. That's fine. Right. I think... I like that. I'll bet the the motivation behind that line, and I actually sort of appreciated this aspect of it, she's standing there talking to the evil queen, but she's emphasizing that Regina is part of this family. Yes. I did like that. Yeah. And Regina noticed it too. I like that. And you would think it might start to make evil queen think, oh, wow. <laughs> She actually became part of their family. I want a family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but I've got one here with Zelina, who I think is my family. But I've got this sister that I'm using and this niece and and this fireball <laughs> to keep me warm. I have this family to destroy and a kingdom to take down. <laughs> I just have no time at all. Uh, meanwhile, though, Jasmine and Aladdin are taking some time together, sitting, not kissing, still mm-hmm. not kissing. Uh, which may come into play in a little bit. We've got a theory, actually, about uh, their kissing, uh, or lack thereof. Uh, Poor but, people. Can't they just talk without everyone talking about them kissing? Heather, you haven't been able to be on the podcast with us because of your travel recently, so you haven't gotten to talk much about Jasmine. But what do you think of seeing Jasmine in Storybrooke? I was very excited just to see the actress come back because I watched Gallivant. And loved her on that. She's so talented. And I actually thought she she made a pretty good Princess Jasmine. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you, it's been really disconcerting to see both of them out of their more traditional costumes. Because I worked on the film Aladdin back, <laughs> that dates me now, really dates me. <laughs> uh, but I worked there for eight months, and I saw a lot of those characters in those clothes. <laughs> but But I think I thought they did a great I thought both of them have been doing a great job. The Australian accent's a little odd, but yeah, he can... looks like the original character model for Aladdin. Oh, yeah. He's going for a particular oh. British accent, but the Australian, I think, is still coming through. Keeps popping through, yeah. And that particular accent, it's similar to Mo French's accent. 
And I I don't know. It's it's hard for me to even even if the accent were coming through perfectly, it's a hard one for me to imagine with Aladdin. Partially because yeah. I don't know if I understand why they all have British accents anyway. When it should probably be more like Middle Eastern accents, kind of like Naveen Andrews well, would have had. It, yeah, but. Then again, the the stories, they're trying to make the stories kind of universal. Or did he use a British accent in Wonderland? Um, he, I think he actually faked a British Indian accent. No, was he? Oh, no, he is Indian and he was supposed to be one of the the guards, the um, revolutionary guards, right? Um, he was supposed to be Iraqi. Well, from Lost. In Lost, yeah. But in he, Lost. He played Jafar in Wonderland. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And... Yeah, so he he did have his British accent on. Yeah, I, th- I think he actually has a British accent, doesn't he? Like, I think he does. Like, just when he's speaking, not acting. I don't remember now. I'm I not sure either. if I've ever heard him talk outside. <laughs> he's good of enough at accents that I'm not sure which one is his yeah. real one. We'll put it that way. By the way, that original drawing of Aladdin will be in mm-hmm. the show notes. Heather provided oh, a screenshot, so we'll have that in the show notes at oncepodcast.com/slash two sixty eight, so you can see how similar that original drawing of Aladdin is to the Aladdin they chose. Yeah, and I didn't upload that. I wasn't allowed to take anything home from my work when I was there. That's up on the web on its own. I was very happy to find it, though, because I think it's good to be able to see that. Nice. Oh, I know what I was thinking. That Jeremy, I, I wonder, and I'm not convinced about it, but I wonder if what they're trying to do with Aladdin's accent in coaching him on that accent is trying to get him to be kind of a, a Baker Street irregular that one of the one of the scruffy little kids in England who's going around and picking pockets and Yeah, I think that's most likely the case. It's so cheap side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's something and maybe this is just because it's how movies have often been made. It's sort of mm-hmm. like whatever the nationality might be Mm-hmm. They use British accents for everybody if it's not going to be an American accent. Yeah, and all so, the Nazis have British accents. <laughs> right. <and> so it, <laughs> that's it how kind you know of, they're Nazis. <laughs> it's almost like you can forget about it, but but when there's a sort of like a non-standard British accent, I guess, it almost mm-hmm. stands out to me more. And so it just makes him so very British that it confuses my brain, if that makes any sense at all makes perfect sense to me. What do you think of Aladdin going back to stealing a car? I did not like that at all. Uh-uh. Because Aladdin is a hero. And he was stealing, as he stated, at least in the Disney movie, <laughs> to live. This Aladdin in Storybrooke does not need to be stealing a car or breaking into a car and taking the wallet out of it. Mm-hmm. And who leaves their wallet in the car? <sighs> I mean, I do know at least one person, but but who <laughs> well, okay, PSA, don't leave your wallet in the car. Let's take all of your assets or a representation thereof and put it in one of your other largest assets and leave it on the street. Look at Emma when she was inspired by the bail bonds woman. Mm-hmm. Emma got her life together. She stopped being a thief. She stopped running. She stopped trying to steal. And she didn't know she was, quote, the savior, unquote, at that point. But she did stop doing those things. It wasn't like once a thief, always a thief. Mm -hmm. 
But Aladdin, on the other hand, no. And he did say that he spent this whole time in Storybrooke since the first curse, which makes me think that he's been swept back and forth between curses. But he spent this whole time in Storybrooke as a thief, a really good one, hiding and stealing. Yeah. Why? Why do you do that? Because that's what he knows. I guess guess. when he... Mm. Uh, his de- oh well this is maybe why he used the shears and and this episode totally i think kills my theory that this aladdin we're seeing is jafar and it was a theory that also inspired uh, from gareth but um so this aladdin i'm convinced is the actual aladdin former savior he used the shears on himself so yeah if I, his destiny no was to be the savior uh-huh. and he used the shears he removed his destiny so what does he have left he has his thievery. That's what he is. And a hidden he's... underground forgotten um, crypt. Crypt. Thank you. Yeah. That apparently can get created and torn down by multiple curses without the curse caster ever knowing about it. Yeah. True. <laughs> it's pretty special. Meanwhile, Hook and Henry are on the dock with Henry about to try to take the shears and throw them back into the sea into the depths of the sea, the 20,000 leagues under the sea, all of that. And he unleashed a new curse. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so... They grow up so fast. (laughs) Before, um, I thought I had heard in a previous episode, I mentioned I thought I heard Henry use some profanity. No, it was actually (laughs) Regina in a masculine-sounding voice. (laughs) But this time, it was either here on the dock, but definitely... In the Nautilus. Maybe it happened twice in this episode, maybe, maybe. only once. He's just a, just like, a, he feels like a sailor now because of the Nautilus. Yeah. And I'm going to let DeAndre <laughs> speak for me on this. So okay. this is coming from DeAndre, and I agree totally with this. This is what DeAndre said. I'm not at all ecstatic about Henry using profane language. Yes, I'm aware that Jared S. Gilmore is 16 years old, but he's still a child by law, and he should be honored as such. I don't believe they're honoring his innocence and purity as a child or have been, especially with the whole Violet plotline. Now, for their just a little sideline, I would say kids have their crushes. So that one, there's one spot where I say, well, that's I'm kind of fine with that Violet thing because it hasn't gone all, all that far yet. Back to DeAndre's feedback. Again, I am aware that the actor is 16 and they're trying to portray their lives as closely as they can to be relatable to our lives, but at what cost? Mind you, Henry's supposed to be 13. So are you saying it's acceptable for a 13-year-old to use profanity freely without rebuke, discipline, or being reprimanded? I believe they have a responsibility to the viewers, especially the younger viewers, to portray these characters in a way that is relatable, but also for these characters to be moral examples because our children are watching these events and situations unfold and these stories... They are taking to heart, and whatever is portrayed as okay or acceptable, they will deem as okay and acceptable, and it is not okay for Henry to be romantically involved with Violet. Again, my personal thought here is it's not all that serious. Yeah, it seems like a little crush thing. He is too young. It is not okay for Henry to be using profanity. He is a child and should be honored as such. If they continue on this path, it will not be good for our children to partake in this. As adults, we must set a higher moral standard for our children to obtain, and what's currently being shown with Henry's storylines and with Emma and Hook shacking up, it is inappropriate no matter how you spin it. 
It's morally wrong and unacceptable and should be seen as anything other than that, in my opinion. Everyone has the right to their own opinions and life choices, but for a show to be classified as a family show, to have glimpses of moral values and what is right and wrong, and then portray other circumstances that are clearly wrong and immoral as right or acceptable, is not okay, especially when it comes to children being raised up in this show. There should be a higher standard for morality in this show, and in my opinion, it seems that it's declining by the season, by the episode even. I hope they become more conscious of their audience and change things for the better. Thank you for the podcast and all that you do. Thank you, DeAndre, for sharing that. I mean, with the, the little caveat that I think Henry's little thing isn't all that serious, it's kind of at a crush stage. I really agree with DeAndre here. And this is something that's frustrating me about the show more than anything else in the season. I know there are plenty of things through the seasons to get frustrated with, mm-hmm. uh, you know, immorality, murder, curses, genocide, abuse, mm-hmm. lots of things. Confusion about whether evil is evil or necessary. Yeah. <laughs> and, and all of that stuff in some way you could say, well, it's part of the story. And okay, I'm fine with that. You know, making characters relatable. I understand that. What upsets me most, and I was listening to our sister podcast, Are You Just Watching, hosted by Eve Franklin and Tim Martin, uh, and they were talking about how the popular idea these days is kind of this anti-hero, that they're the hero, but they make all of these bad moral decisions. And this is something that really, really frustrates me. It frustrated me on other shows, too. And if there's something that would frustrate me to the point of stopping watching a show, it would be this. And I'm not saying that the show and all of the characters on the show have to align with my personal moral values. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, would, I would love it if they did, but I'm not <laughs> expecting that. And I'm not saying they need to. And I'm not saying that you need to align your life to my moral values either. Uh, but what I'm saying and what is most frustrating is to see, especially a show that's being pitched as a family show, it's at a family mm-hmm. time slot, for them to make the heroes so anti-hero and the heroes make all of these questionable or outright bad moral decisions and just not holding a higher moral standard something that we can look up to especially our kids look up to since this is supposed to be a family show yeah if this was a show on a different night and it was pitched as being for adults, you know, like The Walking Dead or, or a Scandal or some show like that. That's, yeah. yeah, any <laughs> show like that that's pitched at being for adults. I wouldn't be, I think, as disturbed by the anti-hero concept in those shows. It would still bother me a little. But here with something that's pitched as a family show, it really bothers me. I, I said I'd what? let DeAndre speak for me and then I spoke <laughs> for myself again. <laughs> no, but I think I think the point is really important because... If we were if we were 30 years ago, even if characters did some of these morally questionable things, there would either be punishment or at least some discussion in the script about what was done and whether or not it was a good idea, because then it gives you an opportunity as a parent or as as just a, a viewer to be able to have a discussion about it. But if the if the script isn't at all pointing out even subtly that wow they really just crossed a line then it's kind of uncomfortable and weird and and we're put in the situation we that we're put into where you know we're kind of like voices in the wilderness going wait a minute i was going to watch this with my kids and now it's really awkward and uncomfortable mm-hmm. 
And I don't, I don't know that I want to have to explain this stuff to my kids when they're nine. Yeah. You know, I have a 16-year-old and a 13-year-old right now, and the 16-year-old's fine, but the 13-year-old, there are still things where I go, oh, wince. <laughs> Maybe there was a scene they had to edit out that showed Hook washing Henry's mouth out with soap. <laughs> wouldn't, oh my God, wouldn't a blooper reel like that be awesome? If every time they crossed a line, somebody gets their mouth washed out by Hook Although, you know, with the soap on the end of the hook. Hook's perspective. <laughs> That's how I imagined it. Is that weird? <laughs> Hook's perspective would be, uh, well, let's use hand sanitizer. We don't have any, but alcohol is a sanitizer. So here, my boy, just drink this rum and that'll sanitize your mouth. Wow. We've got a whole nother issue to talk about. It's better than keel hauling. So that's that's at least one thing that he's got going for him. No, but it's true. I think it really is true. It's hard. It's and it puts us in awkward positions as parents, I think. Yeah, it does. So I, I, I understand the frustration and I am still committed to the show. I still enjoy the show. I'm committed to sure. finishing the podcast with the show, seeing it to the end. So I'm not I'm not hating on the show. There are these finer points, but yeah. I want to move on True. from that. Thanks. I like I like elements that make a hero relatable in that they struggle with things. They don't always make the best decisions, but they right. learn mm-hmm. from their mistakes. Yes. Like mistakes are mistakes and they learn from it and they overcome yes. their fear and their their desire maybe to do non-heroic things. They yes. they make ev- eventually the right choice in spite of everything that they were pulled to. Yeah. But yes. It, it's like Without that thought that. of, I want to grow up to be like them and do mm-hmm. something, do hard things, do things right. that I don't feel like doing, but I know that are ultimately the right thing to do. And I know right. they do show that plenty of times. So I'm not, I'm not discounting that. I know it sounds like they probably, I'm thinking they haven't shown that at all. They have shown that some. Snow in many ways yeah. has been that. Yeah. Yeah. She has, she has been that, but there's also the, I don't, I don't want my kids to grow up thinking that heroes arrive perfect. I like the idea that there's a learning arc, but I want to see that learning arc. And I think, Jeremy, you really hit on it, that where's the arc? It's like they keep making the same mistake over. Like, we're not going to lie to each other. Oh, except for this one. (laughs) Yeah. And that bugs me. There's always a lie somewhere, it seems like. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, and that arc may not show up in Storybrooke, but the Nautilus did show up in Storybrooke. (laughs) See what I did there? Well done. <laughs> Wasn't it cool to see the Nautilus pop in? Yes. It looked yes, smaller it than it did in the past, though. At least I thought it did. Maybe it was the ankle. Or maybe they got their budget cut back. I don't know. And did it, it have a British too. accent? I couldn't tell. <laughs> as long as I'd be The Nautilus? <laughs> yes. Totally. The Nautilus totally has a British accent. Oh, yeah. It's Indian. So, you know, it's pre- kind of pre-early Raj. Yes. But not whitewashed. They never, they never showed anyone go on to or off of the Nautilus. They just sort of. I can't remember popped. if Jules Verne actually explains how that works. Yeah, he explained how it runs and what the electricity is, sort of, I which think, is impressive for 1868. I think it has a transporter. How else did Nemo <laughs> get onto the Jolly Roger? Oh my gosh, you're right. I'm going with it. It's the Kobayashi Maru. <laughs> <laughs> But the question is, when Hook has his eyes firmly locked onto the Nautilus and Henry is next to him doing his stuff <laughs> and, and Hook is trying to communicate, uh, we're in trouble. He doesn't move his head. He doesn't change his expression. He just says, run. 
And I know it's in a movie somewhere. I, all I can think is maybe it's Sarah Connor in Terminator 2, where she doesn't move her head. She just says, run to her son. But I I don't think that's right. <laughs> so I'm wondering if anybody else had bells ringing in their head when they saw him do that. Might because. also be um, one of the Jurassic movies. <gasps> that's it, isn't it? I think so. Yeah. Like I the, think the you're two right. Kids. That's what I'm thinking. The two kids when they were in uh, the the park area, like around the ice cream, uh, and they saw the velociraptors. I think there was some point where the girl, the sister, uh, was looking. And I'm sorry if I'm spoiling it for you, but I think the sister. <laughs> it's been there was looking, dinosaurs. and she sees the dinosaur, and without taking her eyes off the dinosaur, she says to her little brother, "Run." I think that something like it. that. Yeah. A lot of people yeah. told a lot of other people to run in that movie, though. <laughs> they did. They did. But it's a very specific kind of acting choice to not get amped and to not get hysterical, but just yeah. uh, intense. And it was too late because guess what? Guys from the Nautilus had just beamed onto the dock. <laughs> because transporter. Yes. I'm right. I'm totally right about <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> By the way, their costumes. Uh, I think very nicely matched the uniforms from the Disney movie as well. Yes, they did. They it's like they did. took them out of cold storage. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this episode cut around between simultaneous events yes! with mm-hmm. such tiny little scenes, more so than I think yes! any episode we've ever seen. So that's why oh, really? it's really hard to go through this and fully discuss an event because the events were split up so much. There were a about four different things happening now that you mention it because there was hook present hook past also the hospital and also kind of like the house like stuff regina was doing or a lot of different mm-hmm. things going on and emma so inside the nautilus we get the nice little star wars reference why didn't he come right out and say it they own the rights yeah i don't know i wondered too i guess they thought it was funnier that way yeah they really belabored Wookiee. Well, they did say yeah, they Wookiee. Didn't. And this is funny. If you look at almost anything that's Star Wars themed, a cereal box, a toy, a video game, almost every proper noun from the Star Wars franchise is trademarked. <laughs> that's how George Lucas has really made so much money. There's like a whole backstory actually about how he made so much money because the studios didn't think Star Wars would be a success. So they let him keep the rights. <laughs> so everyone who wants to use the Star Wars thing uh, used to have to pay basically uh, George Lucas, but now he's sold it to Disney. So uh, Wookiee is one of those things. Wookiee is trademarked. So they were just having fun. They were like, Wookiee, well, Wookiee, Wookiee. Yeah, so they, they did use... <laughs> we can say it. No, 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 no. no they did use Disney? one of the trademarks. Neener, neener, neener. That's funny. But that was an alternate universe. Didn't count. (laughs) Which I wouldn't call it an alternate universe. I don't know what I would call it. Not reality, though. Yeah. Wasn't even a full universe. And we could say, well, yeah, you were a coward who didn't even know how to swing a sword right. (laughs) I mean, yeah, you could say that anyway. I just thought he was going to say, it's a movie. You wouldn't understand, man. (laughs) But he didn't. Because, yeah, everything he did. He does. He really does act more like he's his actual age than the Henry age. So I've thought of a whole, yeah, a whole plot for at least one episode. They could do something really cool with his character. This is just this is free. This is just an idea if they want to run with it. <laughs> he could end up in a realm where time moves faster, or he could end up somewhere else, protected 
while everyone else in Storybrooke is frozen, but years could pass. So that he has been without them for years, but they didn't perceive it. And then they're just like, oh, look, oh, wow, he's 16 now. That's crazy. And then he's got all this emotional baggage because of what was happening. Because nobody loved him for all that time. And if you see regular (laughs) photos of Jared S. Gilmore, then you'll see he really does look 16 outside Uh of Once Upon a Time. So when they do Once Upon a Time, they do things like with his hair, his hairstyle to make him look younger. They're trying to hide the fact that he is 16 now, not 13 but at some point, yeah, they need to reconcile that. We've suggested ways they could do that. Listen to past episodes, writers, to get some ideas or hashtag hire the nerd. <laughs> exactly. She'll give you ideas. They're so lucky that he didn't shoot up the way that Ron Weasley did. <laughs> yeah. That would have been scary. <laughs> what do you think of Hook's motivation in keeping the shears? I think he learned his lessons from Emma very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was disappointed. Seriously, how did we get through this whole episode without referencing the Dark One stuff? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was preparing to do something very, very similar, changing her essential nature against her will to save her life. Like, it's so much the same thing. And he is looking at taking something away from her. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas Emma gave him something he didn't have. And I'm sure she always thought that she'd find a way to undo it, which he doesn't necessarily even have that hope. Right. Oh, no. No. And I'll tell you, it rang. I don't know if you guys read the books, but it rang bells for me from the um, Golden Compass books, which and it's a very creepy bell to ring because that's separating separating you from yourself, separating you from your essence. And and like you said, something that Emma doesn't necessarily want to be separated from right now. Um, that's a that's a very creepy line to cross, mm. and they didn't they didn't go there at all, which bugged me. Yeah. So Snow and Bell are at the hospital, and it's really cute to see Bell getting ready to have her ultrasound. My wife Jenny and I had the ultrasound for our son or oh, daughter. That's why you said it recently. that way. <laughs> <Yay>! <laughs> Wasn't cute though. <laughs> And it makes sense. You got to see the blob. Yeah. No. Um, <laughs> They're adorable blobs. Though. Oh, yeah. We got to see the face, too. And <gasps> it was Yay! really cute. Yeah. Noodle Baby is doing well. That was about a month ago, Yay! I think, that we saw oh, wow. ultrasound for our baby. But we still don't know what the gender will be. And we haven't picked a name yet. But we want to be surprised. That's why we don't know yes. what our uh, baby's gender will be. Surprise. Thank you. That's the only happy medical surprise you're ever going to get. So take it while you can. True. We were surprised by both of ours and it was fun. But um, of the things that Belle is saying, the one thing she seems to be completely open to is Rumpel's being part of the baby's life. Not necessarily part of her life, but she is acknowledging that Rumpel is the father of this baby and mm-hmm. that there needs to be some kind of reconciliation between them. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if uh, <clears throat> reconciliation is exactly what she had in mind. Yeah, true. Involvement was more the word she used. Sort of a preventative reconciliation between him and their child. Well, son, they can they know the gender. They they met him as an adult who lies and holds grudges. Yeah, <laughs> still not over it. <laughs> <laughs> bitter a little bit a little bit <laughs> by the way just before this little conversation happens 
when uh, the scene first starts, David is looking over this patient that they just brought in that was in the Mm. forest. That's Nemo. Yes. Right. And when you rewatch the episode, you can't really Mm -hmm. see his face all that well, but you can see it's someone with his skin color. You know, Nemo Mm -hmm. being uh, someone with the, the, like the Arabic skin color or Indian skin color, Middle Eastern kind of skin color. Um, you can see that that's what it is. And it, it might even be the same actor. You can't tell well enough, but it looks like it could be the same actor there. So cool that they hid that right there in the beginning. Yeah. And it was funny because when, when we first watched the episode, I was like, why are they making such a big deal about the stiff on the gurney? And somehow what? I totally missed it the first time no. through. I don't know what happened. I don't know if somebody started talking. I don't know what happened, but I missed it. I did too. I just thought, okay, so it's someone else they found. I think something about the way also that this episode kind of jumped around from one yes. plot line to the next, I I think that maybe I just foggily thought that I should already know what was happening at the hospital and why they were there. Oh, that makes sense. And it just, there have been a lot of wounded people lately and there have been a lot of, there's been a lot happening mm-hmm. in Storybrooke. It's been eventful. Yeah. It's been busy. So busy that Rumpel decides to make some house calls. Right? Oh, oh, this, yeah. this, yeah. completely unexpected. I feel like Southern Belle Evil Queen <laughs> <laughs> might have been something that she was doing like just to cut up on the set and they decided to put it in. Doesn't <laughs> I it wondered the feel same that way? Thing. Like yes. she just decided to deliver all her lines that way. And they're like, no, that's the take we're using. You know, it does. Because <laughs> it went mm-hmm. on forever and it was the best yeah. thing. I laughed the entire time, both times. And, and I'm sure, I, and I really <laughs> hope this, this scene must have resulted in some of the best bloopers. <laughs> if we're not actually watching the blooper in the episode. <laughs> I was like, trying something new? What is wrong with you? This is great. Where would you ever even have heard someone who talked that way? But <laughs> Good point. <laughs> uh, she cracked me up in this one. Yeah. And she's also being like this, this strange kind of seductive. And later on, she says, basically communicates that she wants Rumpel. Um, I wonder if it's that she does or that she's more just trying to entrap him. And we'll, we'll discuss that a little bit more in a moment um, yeah. because we've got some more feedback on that a little later on. How did he know where the shears were? I think because magical item, Magic. he can detect it. So Regina should have been able to detect it. She's good like that. In and fact, Emma. yeah, Emma has sensed magic in the air. You would think she'd be like, mm-hmm. wait a minute. Mm-hmm. hook what you got there buddy yeah, that's true but she hasn't learned how to use her magic all i know that but well it seems yet. to be screaming because they were just like oh yeah i mean they're right there well if it's screaming she can't hear it over the sound of the dark one dagger which calls to her <laughs> constantly apparently but they've ignored since the oh, last season wonder her handshakes yeah right but this is where <laughs> Things start to get a little troubling because I've been enjoying this season more than many in recent memory. But here we have Rumpel in a room with Evil Queen in this case. 
revealing something that should, in one sense, be obvious, but that we did not previously know about the magical MacGuffin that's been floating around, not feeling like a MacGuffin, but suddenly does. Hmm. Oh, well, of course it's not just usable on saviors. It can, how do they put it? Cut anyone's destiny off or whatever. I'm starting to think you have to cut their pinky off. (laughs) Not really. But it's starting to be this weird thing that it's like, well, how does it technically actually even work? How does one, even if one wanted to use the shears on oneself, what does that even look like? What do you do? Do you cut your hair? Do you just sort of, I I think I've talked about this before, but (laughs) now their scope of usefulness is starting to expand in a, into a broader yet undefined sort of thing. Like, what does it mean if you, if your fate is taken away? So if it doesn't just remove the savior nature from the person in the story, like if, if she, and, and somehow this was a bit of a leap, but apparently a correct one, evil queen figures out that he wants to use them on bell. So you, you literally change the entire future of the person or you what untether it from, from what it is fated to be. And yet they've established that your fate is not set in stone anyway. You have to use the word destiny. Fate destiny. was Oh, is it destiny now? Yeah. Destiny is the word now. Fate was with uh, Brave and oh. Merida. So you can't use that word. They're moving so, on to destiny. So destiny is the... So we do have a, a, an event. I just... I didn't see... It's less grandiose than in other story arcs. So I didn't see the shears as that event that is building yeah the vision could be but at least it's a good one and we've actually seen it with our own eyes and we know there are questions about it so it didn't feel like that vague snuff out the light and and cleave myself from the dagger all those things that have been stated we've actually seen the vision so that actually has some concreteness to it even though we have to figure out what it actually means but the shears are starting to become that thing that we're all afraid of, but we don't really know what we're afraid of. And it has an unfortunate amount of scope to become anything. Thankfully, because yeah. it lacks that grandioseness, it isn't something where we're being set up for a big letdown. Because it's not a thing that's like, oh, it's going to make everyone kill each other. And by that, I mean poke each other in the eyes and like wrestle a little bit and stuff. <laughs> But not in mud. No, but it, it, it is – it's creepy and not just because of the Golden Compass thing but but because, I mean, they went to Hades. So we've incorporated Greek mythology now and the fates had your – your life was a thread. It was a, a a ball of yarn or a thread that they would stretch out in front of them and one of the fates had scissors. Oh, that's right. And when it was your turn to die, she'd cut cut the thread and that's – I got really very nervous about all of the scissor thing. I'm a knitter too, so there's a whole lot of stuff going on there. But it made me very, very uncomfortable because I'm not sure where they're going to go with it. What happens if you... But it's dangerous. What happens if he cuts the umbilical cord when the baby's born with I the shears? I was thinking that's With the shears? Oh my yeah. gosh, I don't want to think about that. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. I don't, I don't know. You know, and it also bugged me because Nemo brought up the whole wayward souls thing. And and just you bring in souls at the same time that you bring scissors in that are or shears that are supposed to separate you from your destiny, and then there's the fates, and it just creeped me out. There was that thing going underneath this whole episode, and it was a I thought it was a 
in some ways a better episode than I've seen for a while, although the time jumps were making me nauseous. <laughs> but but the um, this one thing, I hope they're going to run with it and do something great, but it made me nervous. Yeah. Aladdin seems okay. <laughs> and, and <laughs> I can't say much for Agrabah, but, yeah. you know. I miss a boo. Gareth <laughs> has some suggestions on what Rumpel might be planning to do with the Shears of Destiny. Gareth said, in Street Rats, the Shears were called the Shears of Destiny, which I theorized meant they could be used to change destinies other than the Savior's. What we heard in this episode seems to confirm that. I think Rumpel is planning to use them on Belle or the baby, but I don't think they will end up being used that way. Perhaps they will end up being used on Rumpel himself to change his destiny. I don't think they will be used to separate him from the dagger, as that is a story they have already told. However, perhaps they could go another way and somehow disconnect his destiny from being a coward or being the Dark One. Perhaps this will be a step down the path of Rumpel redeeming dark magic. I have predicted before and continue to hope that Rumpel will restore dark magic to its original form before Nimue tainted it. I think this will require his death as well, but perhaps the shears are a necessary part in the process. Thank you, Gareth, for that feedback. On to where they are at the town line, Emma and Aladdin. Now Emma's playing therapy cricket. Yeah. <laughs> Taking him out for a walk in the woods. Ha <laughs> ha. This is, if nothing else from this episode, this is a scene that really convinced me that this Aladdin is not Jafar. Now that yeah. doesn't mean Jafar isn't in Storybrooke. I think he is somewhere. And I still think Jafar was the Oracle uh, somehow. But, um, the thing, especially with this, is this whole conversation between Emma and Aladdin seems too real. And Jafar, if Jafar was Aladdin, I think Jafar would be trying to convince Emma to use the shears. So we'd hear that coming from Aladdin. But instead, Aladdin seems completely willing for Emma to maintain her hero and uh, savior status. And he's not pressing on her. You really should use the shears. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm glad they mentioned that he didn't actually know what happened to Agrabah because he didn't actually let Jasmine explain, which mm-hmm. is kind of strange. You'd think he'd have a little curiosity, but. But I don't think he ever cared all that much about Agrabah. I think he cared about her. Yeah. True. And that she was she was his connection to the place. And without that, it's it's just a place. Yeah. I thought it was also nice to have Emma getting to be Emma again, talking to yes. people. Not shaking not scared just being emma although without her armor interestingly yes i feel like that's an intentional thing i think because it's not like they're just moving her away from the leather jackets because she's mentioned them so i feel like she's in we're at home mode and there's no real imminent threat necessarily other than you know the evil queen running around trying to destroy their lives but you know they're still kind of in a resting phase. And I think there will be... Is she wearing the jacket in the vision? No, I don't think no, so. No, she isn't. Isn't she wearing just a t-shirt? I think so. Which is strange, too. Mm-hmm. She always fights in the armor. Yeah. yeah. So I was thinking there might be a scene where she puts it on very intentionally because she is going to battle. But uh, if there was ever a time, that seems like it would have been a good one. Mm. Not that it would protect her, but, you know, just mentally. <laughs> And speaking of a yeah. good time for things, Ooh. this was a good time for Hook to 
really connect well with Henry while they were uh, down inside of the Nautilus. Hook to just come out and say, I killed my father. I ate my boyfriend. As, <laughs> as Ruby once said. Hook didn't say that. Ruby said that. Uh, <laughs> things people have to confess on this show. <laughs> I tell you what. <laughs> but this really seemed to be uh, another one of those things. And Aaron and I talked about this in the initial reactions, how... It seems like Evil Queen is doing these things to try and get everyone to tear themselves apart. <laughs> I wish you all could see the motions that go with that when Daniel decides to sing that. <laughs> but it seems everything Evil Queen is doing is doing the opposite of that. So she did this thing with Hook to try and put it in a Hook-shaped wedge into the Charming family. And what did it do? It helped Hook and Henry bond more. Yeah. Don't you think Hook should have a peg leg? I think Wedge just made me think. Oh. Peg leg. He could have a peg leg. And also mean things for Hook. <laughs> Hashtag mean things for Hook. <laughs> but Henry did get to escape at least momentarily. Momentarily, yeah. Well, he had the opportunity. Yeah. Wait. How did he get back on don't, the Don't think Nautilus? about that. Dang don't. it. Transporter. <laughs> yes. Transporter. Your question yeah, is pointless. <laughs> it made my brain hurt. As well as how to pick a lock with shears. Yeah, like <laughs> I, like his hook couldn't do it, but the shears could. <laughs> cool. Stupid shears. <laughs> Were they made no with anything. squid ink? <laughs> Hate those things. But anyway. <laughs> Maybe he just severed the lock's destiny. Ooh. <laughs> Bold move. So, nonetheless, while Henry's gone, Liam then finds Hook and, and starts this little attack. <laughs> this little attack thing he tried. Yeah, he's pretty upset that Nemo would have definitely died as soon as he got back to Storybrooke. Which, yeah, by all accounts, you'd think that would have happened. And they've already established that he must have been in the woods for days. Yeah, with this stab wound. Bleeding. Really close to his heart. Yeah. That guy's resilient. He's, I tell you what. He's something. Maybe uh, maybe the land of untold stories, even once you leave it, there's like a bit of a story coagulation effect. <laughs> you know, you need a little bit of a story thinner to really get things going again. Yeah. Doesn't <laughs> Thankfully work. for him, it kept him alive. It doesn't work for the Agraban Viper poison. No, it does not. But it oh. apparently does work for knife wounds. Yes. It's like passing through a great gate. And some of our audience have probably already been thinking already. And now, for those few people who know what I'm talking about, they're like, whoa, yeah. I don't know what you're talking Orson about. Orson Scott Card has oh. a trilogy. Uh, that involves oh. gates. And I'm reading it actually right now and, and seeing a lot of similarities between that and You're Right now this. while podcasting, he's reading the book. It's really distracting. Reading a book. Reading a book. <laughs> Don't you ever interrupt me when I'm reading a book. <laughs> Super obscure. <laughs> it is. That's awesome. <laughs> As if the other stuff I mentioned wasn't. <laughs> Nonetheless, nice to see Henry come back and save Hook. However, he teleported in. Yep. And then uh, once 
once that was done, those two dunderheads could put their dunderheads together and figure out that they can try to hide the shears again. Really? (laughs) Yeah, the bottom of the sea might take her 15 minutes rather than five. (laughs) Clearly, they don't know how easy it is to retrieve magical items. I'm pretty sure the things need to be protected with magic, possibly blood magic, and not Regina's. And and haven't we already seen Ursula? I mean, we have seen undersea creatures. True. I, I, my jaw dropped. And I went, oh, no, no, no. Yeah, like maybe put a protection spell on the chest and then dump that in the ocean. Well, and then Hook, put a protection spell on the ocean. Hook can't do there that. There you go. Hook, I don't know what Hook No, Hook can't do that. They should have realized, oh, gee, Regina knew. Well, this is Henry's fault. Mm-hmm. He should have said, you know, you hid them. And she didn't even have to look. She knew where they were. She opened the door, didn't even walk up to them and knocked the toolbox over. Maybe we need to take more drastic measures to protect these. Yeah. Mm, Yeah. Something. 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 (sighs) Meanwhile, Aladdin and Jasmine are talking again. And (laughs) this story doesn't quite align with what Jasmine told Snow previously. That's it. She's Jafar. (laughs) Just kidding. Mm. Ew. She could be. I guess she could be. <laughs> be actually. Okay, so what oh if. Oh my gosh, did I just stumble onto something? <laughs> what if. Her hair was messed up. Kind of like. <laughs> kind of like a beast rider or a. Uh, a Ka and Ba. This is more Lost Gate stuff. I'm throwing it in there for those who what is read right Lost now? Gate in the trilogy there. but He's in a book. It's okay. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Wait a minute. Maybe Jafar is not shape shifting. He is taking over people. Now, we've seen that not work well when Rumple combined himself with Neil. You know, all the mm. voices in my head. Oh, that was but, one of the... Cre- I forgot. I blocked that out. Yeah, so, I forgot so about bring, that one, too. Bring it back to here. What if Jafar uh, is, in personality, is jumping from people? So he was inside of the Oracle, and then he decided, no, I'm done with this person. I'll let her die from an Agrabon Viper poison, and then I'll shift over to to take over Jasmine because Jasmine was running from the scene. Remember when they found the Oracle, the dead ah, Oracle? Yeah, you're right. So what if oh. what if Jasmine is now Defar? Because then that could make sense why Jasmine's story doesn't align so here. So she wasn't when I cleared her, basically, yeah. and said I believed her, but she could be now yeah so here's how the story doesn't align uh in the previous version in what jasmine told snow she said that the princess talking about herself obviously could have saved agrabah but fled in this version that she's telling aladdin she said that aladdin fled and she was merely on a journey traveling to some other town and when she returned agrabah was gone that's completely different than the story she previously told Snow. So either Jasmine is lying or that's not Jasmine. Well, I mean, there is another option. Like the two stories are somewhat compatible because we don't know. Like maybe she ran, but then she decided to come back and it was too late. Yeah. So when she says. So she didn't want to. Be the hero, basically. Well, and she, she left. She was in the land of untold stories, right? 
I, I'm, she I'm was, getting things like, mixed up. Yeah, now. that's where they found her. Yeah. Like so, maybe part the parts that were missing. So she didn't accept who she was, and she she fled, mm-hmm. and then she realized, you know, in some story that we'll get through some flashbacks, uh, that she needed to go back and do the thing, and so she goes back, but Agrabah is gone. Um, probably she'll have been assisted by some character that we either haven't met yet or that we know in the past and never imagined she would have met because she went to the Enchanted Forest when she left. Mm. Um, I Yeah. So then, you know, oh no, what do we do? So she goes to the Land of Untold Stories, which pauses her life, but not really Agrabah's. Yeah. But somehow maybe she thinks that will help somehow. We have some theories on what might have happened. Jessica Frey said, Jasmine said Agrabah was gone in a sandstorm or something of the like. What if this happened at the end of the Dark Curse? A sandstorm could have been caused by the after effects of the giant magic cloud. Interesting thought. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Gareth suggested several things. Uh, Four options here. Option one, perhaps it is still there under some kind of cloaking spell. Brigadoon? Maybe uh, Jasmine couldn't see it or enter it, but that doesn't mean necessarily it was gone. Well, that's true of Storybrooke, too. True. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Option two, a dark curse transported it to the southwest United States and people stumble into it when they drive across the <laughs> desert. <laughs> Option three, it got sucked in its entirety into the land of untold stories where it could easily be, as Daniel suggested, the lost city of Atlantis. And she never knew it? Yeah. It needs a bit more water. Option four, (laughs) it was put inside a bottle and is now a bottled city, regardless of where it is. I think we can assume that Jafar put it there and did so before he went off to Wonderland. Oh, no. It's the hourglass thing. Yeah. A dark curse being involved would connect back to season one. Remember, there is uh, that—this is me not talking, not, um, not Gareth, but remember, there is that little village inside of— gold shop Mm -hmm. that henry Mm -hmm. pointed out to say this there's a whole village trapped in here maybe that's yeah i don't remember that that was in the finale episodes last season yeah oh well maybe when he was talking to his girlfriend if uh if that is the case you can be assured that before it is released bell will end up in it Mm. because that's her thing (laughs) right i vote for brigadoon just because of the heather on the hill so I'm biased. Gareth continues here. He said, (laughs) a dark curse being involved would connect back to season one, would harken back to one of the iconic things Emma did as the savior, and might explain why they are waiting on an Aladdin and Jasmine kiss. The curse might also only be on Jasmine. We know that Jafar's motivation for doing most things is revenge. He would likely want revenge on Aladdin and Jasmine. He persuaded Aladdin to defeat himself by using the shears. But he might have defeated Jasmine by cursing her to think that Agrabah was lost and allowing that guilt to torture her. We know from Camelot that people can be cursed to see things in ways that do not match reality. Sending Jasmine on a seemingly pointless quest to find a man who is no longer the savior might have been part of the torment. Not to mention the sultan was playing with toys. Yeah. Nonsense, Jafar. I'm an excellent judge of here. <laughs> Do we have reason? We've probably been over this. Could Jafar even possibly be in Storybrooke? Yeah. Well, certainly. Ish. Certainly. Why, if he's been possessing people, 
and he possessed someone who was taken to the land of untold stories, then taken to here. Well, and, and maybe it could be Jasmine because she can't get her story straight. And, you know, adding mm-hmm. to my point on her not being able to communicate it, DeAndre said in the previous episode, Jasmine tells Aladdin that Agrabah is in danger, but he mentions that it has fallen because of him. But in this episode, she says that it's gone. So there are some inconsistencies with what's coming out of her mouth. Is Agrabah in danger or is it gone, Jasmine? And that's a big difference. The story runner would have caught that if it wasn't supposed to be there. (laughs) I like to think. You like to think that. Yeah, I know. My husband says if you have to start a sentence with, you know, it really should be this way. Or you to think, you to thought (laughs) that you've already lost any of those. You've already lost. It's over. (laughs) And he's usually right about that. <laughs> Back to Bell after the ultrasound. Mm, the real Bell, mm-hmm. not Southern Bell. Yeah. She, <laughs> Southern Bell EQ. She's not completely dismissing the idea of repairing her relationship with Rumple, but she did say she doesn't know if she has hope for that. But she does seem to definitely have hope that the relationship between the baby and Rumple can be fixed. He was just so terrifying. Mm-hmm. Like, as at a least... baby, imagine what he'll be as a teenager. <laughs> no, not the baby. Oh, wow. Rumple. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I don't know. But also the baby. Uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> he, yeah, he's, he's gross. Like we said, don't waffle on this. Either he's that kind of horrible person or he's not. Like, yeah. he can't go back and forth. He can change... But it has to be definite and it has to be very carefully done if they want him to change because that was too far. Yeah. I've been having trouble with Bell's waffling back and forth. I don't, I'm not following a, a definite uh, character purpose arc in there and it's bugging me that I can't see it, but something is I'm missing. Yeah, she wants, she wants the baby to not grow up to hate his father and that's good. Sure. But if his father's actually evil then he needs to be aware of that. At the very least. At the very least. Yeah. So, I'm... Or if you're going to go all Oedipus, then he needs to be the one who destroys his father. <laughs> he seems but, to want to be. But maybe keep his eyes. Yes. <laughs> he was kind of like, Mom, I'm going to keep you asleep unless you're going to do right by me and not <laughs> have anything to do with my father again. Also, how did you learn about Morpheus, child? I don't understand. <laughs> There's still all that question of whether that was really the baby, whether the baby really is Morpheus or was pretending. Ugh, it was all, that was so complicated. And basically, I can kind of get what Belle's hoping for, but yeah, Rumple just wants her obligated to him or he thinks he's confusing necessity with love and it's weird and or possession yeah, with love. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. uncomfortable to say the least. It is. Snow kind of paused as the scene opened, staring at the flowers that she was arranging on the cart. And I mm-hmm. wondered if she was remembering all the years mm-hmm. when she was happy and things were simpler mm-hmm. and she was a teacher and mm-hmm. David was just John Doe in a coma. Mm-hmm. Yep. I thought that's what was going on. <laughs> oh, yeah. I Because later she talks about being a teacher. Yeah. I was thinking maybe they were the flowers she was named after, but no, they weren't. I hope she doesn't want David back in a coma. <laughs> yeah. Uh, me too. <laughs> the the show is just going all the way back to its origins. <laughs> <laughs> Snow, 
<laughs> Snow just gets on. She's. It turns out she's actually got some severe emotional problems now, and she's really trying hard to get things back to the way they were under the curse. Well, you know, maybe that's a perfect ending to the season is that everyone <laughs> willingly lets the curse come, but because Emma and Henry weren't born uh, and affected by the curse— they're allowed to go and live a wonderful life together and like say a place in New York or something. And then <laughs> Regina recasts the curse in this beautiful way that there are all of these wonderful goodbyes. I think that would be a perfect ending to the whole series. Yeah. <laughs> I can almost see it now. Like I've seen it already. Yeah. Uh... It was funny that in the hospital, it almost seemed like they went out of their way uh, when Liam and Hook made up to not say they found Nemo. They said they found him, but they didn't say they found Nemo. (laughs) Because finding Nemo would be just a little too much. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's a step too far. I didn't. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. A a sub-reference too far. That's wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) The the whole episode should have been called Finding Nemo, honestly. (laughs) Yeah, they would have telegraphed it. (laughs) There are definitely quotes that come straight out of the book that fueled um, or that appear to have fueled a lot of what uh, Nemo does and what his lines are, especially the parts about um, that Liam kept saying about their, them being free. And Hook was kind of bemused by that, having been a pirate captain himself, that um, it could feel free, but you can't leave the boat. So while you're on the boat, you're treated as though you're your own and you have an agency, but not not really so much. And that is 100% Nemo. And this, the it is pretty extraordinary what Jules Verne did, especially when you see the, the design of the Nautilus, because he was writing it three years after the Civil War ended. And if anybody's seen a picture of old iron science, the the iron-clad ships at the time, they were big and bulky and mm. hulking monsters, and not cool-looking or sleek or anything like what Ver, uh, Jules Verne designed. Wow. Yeah, he was, I mean, he was really, he's, there's a, there are reasons why people call him the father of science fiction. Some, and some people go back to Mary Shelley and Frankenstein because she uses science in, in her book. But he's the one who really designs, designs stuff. And we're doing the time machine, or not the time machine, we're doing a War of the Worlds right now. And H.G. Wells doesn't so much design as he does use, uh, science of the time hmm. and manipulates it a little bit. But Vern is really clearly, I mean, he's he's in a class of his own. Hmm. Nice. That's cool. Yeah, he's pretty nifty and Indian. It was really nice to see Hook being honest with Emma. So now can we say mm-hmm. they no longer have secrets at all between the two of them? Are we done with them? Really? They're, we've we've leveled the, the deck? Maybe. I hope I so. I think so. I hope so. <sighs> I am very, very thankful that the hiding of the shears did not get dragged out through the season and at least have had some Mm -hmm. confidence now. They have been doing that very well for the last few seasons. A thing that seems really tiresome will get introduced, but it also gets used and resolved within an episode or two instead of becoming the thing everybody just exasperatedly says, would you just end this? Mm Mm-hmm. Like people were saying when we were talking for 10 minutes about the caption. 
(laughs) Sure. I mean, we could talk about that in every episode for the rest of the season. Well, one thing I hope we don't have to talk about in every episode for the rest of the season is Evil Queen hitting on Rumpel. Ew. Was that? Would you call that hitting on Yes. Well, she said. She's a masher. I know what I want. And then she goes up and then lays this kiss on him. And he's, you know, to his credit, he's not kissing back. (laughs) Well, he's also not pushing her away. Yeah. So he doesn't get full credit. Or. um, He gets half credit. Well, it, it is. He's kind of tolerating her, which is kind of hilarious. But she also has a different demeanor than last time. She, her appearance is softer. Yeah. She's far less. In fact, that's the most light colored stuff I think we've ever seen Evil Queen wear. And Mm. she seems less aggressive, Mm. I think, despite the creepy open eyed kissing. It was weird. Mm -hmm. And just by the way, in this moment, totally thought Belle was going to walk in and see them. And that's such a cliche. And thank you for not doing it. Well, you know... It meant something, but she wasn't aware of it. uh, Gareth had suggested, and I know others have suggested, that that was Evil Queen's intention. And really, watching this, I feel like that's what they planned for this episode. Even the way they edit it together, where, okay, Evil Queen starts kissing Rumpel, cut to Belle walking right outside the store... Perfect setup to see this, but they didn't show that. So I think what mm-hmm. happened is that's the way they scripted it, that Bell would see this happen. But they dis- they decided to do something different. And so all you see is the card being passed over. You don't see Bell bend down to slip the card under the door. You see her approaching the door. Production aspect here. So you you never maybe they never even recorded her or never intended for her to slip the little note under the door. She was going to walk in to give Rumple the picture. What you do see is you see the other side of the door is mm-hmm. something that slipped in. They could have easily changed their minds on where they wanted the script to go. So instead of getting the cast back together to re-record that scene, they cut it differently and then they filmed that one thing well, of the note sli- slipping under the door. They, could have, they never cut to her face. Yeah. He has the little bell on the door. And so opening would have interrupted the kiss and changed the whole rest of the sequence after that. Right. So, plus the blind on the window. she could have seen the through window. the window. She could have. And they could... I mean, they could have even left it ambiguous on purpose so that they could decide later whether she saw them or not. I'm thinking that either it was a mistake or not a mistake, but something that they had to clean up because something went wrong. I mean, it could be something as simple as they just lost audio. I mean, there's so many different things that could get munched, but it was weird and it stood out as being weird. And I'm hoping that there's a payoff for the weird. I thought they were just trying to scare us or something. (laughs) Maybe, but that was one of my notes was there's... There's no shortage of stress in this episode. It wasn't like they needed to create a an opportunity for hmm. for there to be yeah. stressors. Well, and, and Meredith thinks maybe it's she wants to create that discord and break up the Rumbell relationship. That's what I had thought. Uh, Gareth originally says, uh, I think the Evil Queen just always had a latent attraction to Rumpel, and the split is merely allowing her to act on it. Whatever the case, it seems she wants two things. She wants Rumpel's heart, and she wants Snow's heart. Uh, 
So mm-hmm. note that she already has the shears. Yeah. Again, it mm-hmm. only took 15 minutes this time. I don't even know why she needed favors from underwater creatures. She can magic things kind of anywhere she wants if she knows where they are. Mm-hmm. So, yes, there's that. Mm-hmm. Irritating shears. Now, Rumple once again has some strange magical item in his possession that he can do who knows what with. I'm still just like with the shard of the Olympian crystal. I'm kind of not about it. Like it's kind of Mm -hmm. irritating to me, but the statement of the evil queen, once again, wanting Snow White's heart is oddly story basic and kind of exciting in a weird way for that reason. To go back to. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. And especially because I don't think, like I said before, I don't think that it's for the simple purpose of killing her this time. I think it's, to use for other purposes. Yeah, which makes total sense. But it's still such yeah, an elemental yeah. story element <laughs> to be <laughs> repetitively redundant. I think I think my response when she she let out with that was <laughs> <laughs> because it was just right. It was that was the thing. Mm-hmm. Yay. And it seems it's something that she can't take herself. It's not that mm. the snow is never alone. Snow is alone plenty of times, so there are plenty of opportunities where she could just poof in, yeah. take Snow's heart. But these people are not scared enough. Maybe <laughs> no, and she's lost yeah. before. Maybe this is something she doesn't have the ability to do, mm-hmm. and that's why she needs Rumple to do it. The evil queen's in town, poofing into places, poofing other people to the edge of town, doing all these things, and meanwhile, she's like, "I want to teach again." Okay, cool. Shouldn't you guys be, like, hunkered down? Some people are under protection spells in, like, bunkers, and other people are out finding a way to stop the evil queen. I I love the character development and the rest, but there's an imminent threat in town right now. Clear and present danger. Yeah, and they're not acting like it. Well, there does come a point where you have to say life has to go on. (laughs) But, yeah, in the middle of... A tornado might not be the best time for that. But, yeah, like, if there's a murderer who wants specifically to kill me on the loose within, oh, two to three miles of my house and I don't have any doors, that's probably a problem. I'm not going to just say, well, you know, (laughs) life doesn't go on until you stop it. Yeah, Forget about it. Well, this podcast... Won't go on much longer. I do want to thank some people who left some kind reviews for us in iTunes. Not five star, but they were honest. And that's what I appreciate more than the five stars. I appreciate when it's an honest and kind review. So they had some criticism, but they did it with kindness. Uh, Porkchop31 said, I came late to the Once Upon a Time fandom. I circled back to season one and listened along and now skipped to the newest episodes to follow along with the newest season. I enjoy the analysis and predictions. Halver311 said, the podcast goes deeply into the show and is definitely worth your time. I just wish they'd stop focusing so much on rules of magic and other things with (laughs) continuity and just enjoy the show and talk about the themes of each episode. Boy, Halver311, if you're still listening now, good job. (laughs) I'm so sorry for the first 10 minutes. (laughs) <laughs> if, if you even made it that far details matter uh now however 311 said also uh, i go to a catholic school and this show practically resembles my fundamentals of theology class discussions about good and evil oh, thank you thank you very much for the kind reviews was they, that a compliment <laughs> i take it as a compliment i think so I, uh, 
<laughs> I, we really appreciate the reviews.、Uh, it's a myth that reviews help us climb the rankings in iTunes, but what reviews do for us is they really encourage us and they help other people decide to listen to the podcast. And it's really neat.、Uh, if you never have the opportunity to send us feedback, and that might be you, maybe you're thinking, I don't have any theories. I just enjoy the show. I enjoy the podcast. This can be a way that you can still get your voice heard on the podcast. Write a review for us in iTunes or Stitcher. The links for that are on the website and in the show notes at onespodcast.com slash 268. That's also where you can go to share this episode out. And continue the discussions with comments, with the links to different forum threads, and to see those images and links and quotations and other things like that, all in the show notes for this episode at oncepodcast.com slash 268. Please connect with us on Twitter at oncepodcast. And I'm Daniel J. Lewis on Twitter at thedanieljlewis. I'm Jeremy Laughlin on Twitter at phlegon. That's P H L E G O N. And I'm Heather Ordover on Twitter at, as mama o. This podcast would not be possible without our great team of helpers supporting each episode, making the episodes possible, doing many different tasks for us. So, special thanks to Jack for writing our show notes, John Buchanan for editing our episodes, Hunter Hathaway and Jacqueline for providing our spoilers. You'll hear from them in a moment. Jacqueline and Matthew Paul for moderating the forums, Keb for masterminding our timeline. Again, Keb. Good luck. <laughs> and thanks to my fellow co hosts, Jeremy, Aaron, Heather, Hunter, and Jacqueline for hosting this podcast with me. And until next time, careful who you cross. You're thin on allies. You don't need allies when you win. And thanks for listening. Once Podcast is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award winning and award nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Big thanks to our heroes for supporting this episode of the podcast. If you want to be a hero too, then please go to oncepodcast.com slash hero. And thank you for your support. Hi, Oncers. I'm Hunter Hathaway. And I'm Jacqueline. And it's spoiler time for Once Podcast, episode 607, Heartless. In a flashback to the Enchanted Forest, Bandit Snow dodges a bounty hunter known as the Woodcutter, while Shepherd David goes on a fateful journey to sell his family's farm. In Storybrook, the evil queen threatens to destroy the town and everyone in it unless Snow and David surrender their hearts. As Emma, Hook, and Henry prepare to defend Storybrook, Snow, David, and Regina search for a magical sapling created by the first spark of true love. Regina uses gold and evil queens burgeoning romance against them, and Zelina offers Belle some friendly advice. It's written by Jane Espenson and directed by Ralph Hemmiger. Lots going on. Yeah, lots going on.、Um, particularly interested to see this magical sapling created by the first spark of true love. Yeah, like that just seems really strange to me. It does.、Um, I'm not quite sure how that even happens, but. And how do you know it's a magical sapling? Right. Like, does it look like the rest of them? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> do you go up and feel the magicalness or something? I don't know. I、or、guess we'll find out. Or does it have to be people that are in true love to be able to find it? Oh, there you go. 
Okay, we got a bunch of guest stars. We do. So we have Lee Ehrenberg back as Grumpy. Keegan Connor Tracy as Shady Blue Fairy herself. <laughs> Gabrielle, we haven't seen her in a while. We haven't seen her in a while. Gabrielle Rose as Ruth. Paul Johansson as the Woodcutter. And Paul Jarrett as Nobleman. Yeah. So no Aladdin and no Jasmine this week. No. But they're not dead, and they're not gone after one episode, so. That's true. That's true. So they're probably just on the back burner trying to figure out how they're going to save Agrabah, so that's probably what they're doing. They're probably eating at Granny's. Yeah. So we got a promo. We did, and um, this might be my favorite promo of the season so far. I thought it was a really good one. It's really good, but really short. Again. (laughs) Yeah. I swear, these are getting so short. But it zooms in onto the close-up of the potion bottle that could destroy the people of Storybrooke. Yes, and it looks like there might be something inside of it. Yeah, it's like half color, half, like, clear. Yeah. Like, it needs to get mixed somehow. So, that was... It's it's cool, but it's different. And the Evil Queen does say that there's a countdown. So, we do see the Evil Queen say that uh, Snow and David have a countdown put upon them that they have to solve something before it's too late. And then in a flashback, we do see the woodcutter trying to get to snow with an ax. Yeah. That's kind of scary. It is. And it looks like there's a really big scene in the cemetery back in Storybrooke. Because the evil queen wants to see them there because it's a good place for endings. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, a lot packed into a very, very short promo. Yes. Lots of purple smoke. Lots yeah, of lots it. of purple smoke. So, I like purple, so it's okay. So, we got photos. We did. Um, these are interesting? Um, I would say, I wouldn't call them interesting. I would say there's a lot of them, but they didn't really tell you anything. Right. A lot of them is the group of Regina, Snow, David, Hook, Emma, hanging Henry. outside of Granny's. Yeah, and there's a lot of close-ups on everyone. Like, okay, so you see the big group, and then now let's get a shot of each of individual, like, looking different ways. Yeah. They're, like, a lot of people standing around, not doing anything. Right. Including the Blue Fairy. Yes. She's got her wand out. Right. So will she be helpful or really ineffectual? I don't know. And we do get to see the woodcutter. Who's very scary. Yeah, he's got, like, this big mask on and, like, drapey clothes. He looks very Halloween-ish. He but, does. Um, and he's running down the street with the axe. Yeah. He's probably going to be a real fun guy. Yeah. <laughs> now, I wonder if they're going to see him in Storybrooke, too. I know we see him in the flashback, but sometimes people from the flashbacks mm-hmm. show up in Storybrooke. Yeah, I don't know. We didn't have... A whole lot of information about this episode when they were filming it. Um, We had very few photos. So, I don't know. But, everyone, guess what? You get three script teases today. (laughs) That's right. Three. Three of them. So, the first one, who would you like to be? I will be Emma. Okay. So, I will be Regina. Are you ready? I actually... Oh, wait. (laughs) (laughs) That's... That's actually the script piece. I forgot that that was the line. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's start that over. Let's do that one again. Okay. Are you ready? I actually am. Okay. I have have no idea what that scene's about, but there you go. Maybe she's ready to 
go and save the town. There you go. That seems because well, that's what she has to do. Right. Like this episode, they have to surrender their hearts. Like the evil queen is destroy wants to destroy everyone, mm-hmm. and it says that they have to prepare to defend it. So she must be ready. All right. You do number two. You're going to be Emma. I'm going to be Emma. Mom. Dad. Dun, dun, dun. Like, that's it. Just mom, dad. I mean, it could be like, mom, dad, we're out of milk. <laughs> they give you, like, nothing. Yeah, they give nothing. Absolutely nothing. Okay, and number three, I'll be David. And okay. I, do you want to read what he does? Yes, I'm going to be the stage direction. So, okay. David stops walking, faces her. Don't give up. <laughs> Probably <laughs> talking to Emma. Emma. Yep. Because who else will give up? Or no, or Snow. Maybe Snow, yeah. Like, they want to defend their heart that they share. Yeah, okay. Because that's what, just so you guys remember, that is why they both have to give them their part of the heart, because Snow and Charming share a heart. Yes. Okay, so we've got an episode title for you guys. We did. It's episode 612, so well into the second half of the season. And it is Murder Most Foul, written by Jerome Schwartz and Jane Espenson. Yep. And that is a line from the Shakespeare play Hamlet. And I... Oh, sorry. And I think this episode is going to finally reveal what happened to Charming and Charming's father. Because we got some casting news. We did. Yeah. Alan Dale is returning as King George. Charming's father. So, yeah, Prince James's adopted father, I suppose, technically, and he will uh, return to cause trouble for Snow and Charming in an episode later this season that shines a new light on all their pasts and has a profound uh, impact on their future. And that's from Eddie and Adam. So, yes, I do think that the casting news, along with the episode title, signals that this will probably resolve what happened to Charming's biological father and we think this might be the first one back right uh 12 second second i think 11 is going to be the first one back okay i never know (laughs) we're still waiting on a final thing guys so we are (laughs) (laughs) but we also got casting news that grace mckenna is returning as young emma Yes, and she and Jennifer Morrison actually took a picture together, and it was really cute. Um, And they look so much alike. Grace McKenna is literally dressed like baby Emma. (laughs) She has on red plaid and a beanie, and her hair is very season one princess curls. Um, She looks adorable. Yes. But it's really strange that she's dressed that way because the current theory for how this first half of the season will end is that we're going to see an alternate universe where the dark curse never happened. So So, why is baby Emma dressed in our clothing? But if you think about it, they put her through before the black dark curse was cast. So maybe there was still threat that the curse was going to happen. Maybe. I don't know. It's, it's going to be one of those we'll weird August finales. Again. Oh, maybe, yeah, because we haven't, we we don't haven't know what seen him appear yet. Yeah. No, they haven't told us what episode he'll be in. So, yeah. so the final thing we're going to talk about is we did watch them shoot the uh, finale 
for the first half of the season, which is episode 10. Uh, not a whole lot going on. We talked about some weird photos we had last week. But the big news from the photo shoots this week is that we saw who's under the hood. Yeah. And it's not even remotely who I thought it was. No, not at all. I mean, we've been talking about it probably being Emma for a very long time. Yes. And it turns out, drum roll, (laughs) that... (laughs) Thank you. That it's Morpheus. Yeah. I have no idea how. Right, because he's still a fetus. He is still a fetus. So He's still a parasite in Bell. <laughs> I don't understand how Morpheus is under the hood or why he's under the hood. Or is this how he some, got there? Yeah, like, and grown up and capable of, like, wielding a sword? Maybe he's in this is all a dream. That's kind of what some people are thinking, that this can't possibly be the real vision that this I mean, there's just no way it could be Morpheus that maybe it's Jafar pretending to be Morpheus or maybe it's even Rumple pretending to be Morpheus. But for it to be actual Morpheus is very, very strange. Yeah. Or it's like that creature in Harry Potter that can change by whoever's looking at it, the Bogart. Okay, yeah. So maybe it's, maybe like right then you saw it as Morpheus, but then it changes to the evil queen or something like that. Like, okay. I don't know, but because it just just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any sense. I agree. But yeah, so that's all we have for you. Yeah, so from here on out, the, uh, the photos will probably be more about the second half of the season. Yeah. So I'm Hunter. You can follow me on Twitter at Traveling Pixie. And I'm Jacqueline. You can follow me on Twitter at punk underscore bunny underscore 87. Until next time, Oncers. Oh.